Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hey, everybody. In this episode with Teresa Thorne, mom of three, ages two, five, and seven, we are talking about career transitions, hosting over 300 episodes of her podcast, One Bad Mother. We're going to share the love story between herself and her husband, American public radio show host and creator, Jesse Thorne. And we're talking about her new children's book that celebrates gender identity and her own experience as a mother of a trans-identifying child. It's on silent. I don't think it'll go off, but... um. One of my kids, if her school calls, I have to, I have to answer it. So that will probably, there's like a 1% chance that that would happen. But if it does, I have to, I have to answer. Of course. So hopefully that won't happen. You're going to destroy the podcast. I know. Such a mom move. I know. Can't do airplane mode. Always on the clock. I know. Always on the clock. I know. Okay. Every restaurant, it's always right here. <laughs> well, everybody, I have... Teresa Thorne sitting across from me. This is very, very exciting. She is in studio. She is the co-host of the weekly comedy podcast, One Bad Mother, which she co-created with comedian Biz Ellis in 2013. (laughs) Teresa and Biz co-authored the Parenting Humor book. You're doing a great job. A hundred ways you're winning at parenting back in 2017. And she's here today to talk about the podcast, about parenting, and her first picture book for children, which will be out in June from Henry Holt. It's called It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. And it's illustrated by Noah Greenyi. Okay. Never would have gotten that one. Yeah. Huge apologies, Noah. Noah Greenyi. I did it. Okay. (laughs) Which we will get to talk about today. So... Teresa's been with Maximum Fun since the network's inception, and she formerly served as the director of development and director of operations there. And Maximum Fun is this, it's like a juggernaut of independent podcasting, I would say. How many different podcasts do you all have now? Oh, I don't want to be quoted on the exact number. Um, We have dozens of shows that we distribute at this point. Um, but only a handful of those shows are actually produced in-house. So, And what feels extra special to me is the fact that your husband created it. Yeah. So it's like really like a family it's affair. It's our family business. <laughs> yes, it is our family business. 100%. You know, so many of my girlfriends listen to your podcast. Not, oh, really? Not, yeah, I'm not keeping score. Oh, thanks. That's really nice. <laughs> not keeping score, Elizabeth Abbott. No. Um, <laughs> and I will admit that I only started listening to you recently Mm -hmm. once I knew you were coming over because, and I'm curious if you share this, as a mother, I would love to listen and to commiserate with the moms on the podcast and like feel like I'm not alone in that thing. And I finally got to experience that in the bathtub listening to you Mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. But as a creator, I've always avoided listening to mom podcasts because I immediately go into like, oh no, everything's already been done. I know. Especially in the parenting world. And then I'm like, oh my God, like what if I accidentally take an idea and then I'm going to go into like podcast plagiarism jail. Yes. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and as someone with a law degree, exactly the same. You've got that. Yeah, but it's not, I don't think it's the law degree thing. I think it's more of a creative person type thing. 
Um, I definitely, yeah, I listened to your show when I knew I was coming on the show and I really liked it, but I wouldn't have listened to it without having that incentive to do it because of that same exact reason. Like, I feel like, oh, I'm going to judge myself against this person and they're probably doing a better job than I am. And then I'm going to feel weird and I'm going to be thinking about that person while I'm doing my show. And yeah, it's complicated. We're in the same field. I'm glad we're all doing this. I think we're all needed. Like, I think parents need this so much. Um, but yeah, we don't necessarily need to listen to each other all the time. And then then I'm like feeling, I always feel like our listeners are with us, which sounds so hippy dippy and bizarre. No, I know what you mean. But I'm always so aware of them. Mm -hmm. Almost kind of like I've been watching the second season of Fleabag Mm -hmm. and you know how she always like does the asides. I haven't seen it. Oh my God, you've got to see it. What are you okay. doing with your life? She always does an aside mm. to the audience. Oh, yeah. So it's like they're with her every yeah. step of the way. And that's yeah. how I feel like our audiences are. And so in a strange way, I bet there are a lot of listeners out there who listen to both of our shows sure. because we do feel like different needs. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because they're listening in on our first date when yes. they know a lot about. And they're like, oh, you guys, let's just catch you guys both up to yes! speed. They could probably <laughs> help us so a lot right that. now. Yes. <laughs> Like, here's what you two should be talking about. Um, So you and comedian Biz Ellis, when you guys started this in 2013, I mean, you've recently celebrated your 300th episode. What is it like looking back and how have you evolved (laughs) or like I've devolved over the past several years? (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. I I don't mean this in a negative way, but it does feel like a blur, truly. Like, I can't believe that we filled 300 episodes, but also I know that we did, and I know we had that much to say. Um, I don't go back and listen because it's kind of hard to go back to that place where I was, wherever that was. Not necessarily a bad place, but um, it's like, Kind of just like how it's painful to like kind of look back on like maybe a picture of yourself from high school or something, not because like, oh, you think you were so ugly or something, but just you kind of know like, oh, that younger version of me, mm-hmm. like the stuff you didn't know or the stuff you were struggling with. Um, for me, that's very emotional. So I try to just like stay present mm-hmm. Um and it's odd when sometimes we get new listeners yeah. who want to start at the beginning. And they of binge. Course, and they binge and they go back. And sometimes I get emails from people. And it's kind of tough to be reminded of certain things. Mm. Um, it's fine, too. And also, I know that those episodes, even though that was me four years ago or whatever, I know that that was a real place to be where I was. And so that that me from four years ago is serving someone now who is in that place. Um, So I'm glad they're there. I'm glad that they're out there. Um, But and I actually don't think the the show has actually changed that much. We are still um, primarily focused on uh, ourselves and what we're like our journey. Um, Sometimes I hate the word journey, but it really like works here. (laughs) Like our. I think I've already said it like four times. Yes, conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go have a shame spiral in the corner now. It'll be you know. Let me go take that journey. Let's do that together. But it's, we've always, Biz and I have always approached it as like, you know, this isn't a show to come and talk about our kids, really. It's a show to talk about us. And like, generally, if we're having an issue with one of our kids that we need to talk about, 
we generally are looking at ourselves and what's going on for us that this is an issue for us. And that's sort of a way of like shielding our kids a little bit. And it's also just a way of, I don't know, dealing with the fact that, you know, our culture sometimes sees us just as moms, but we are actual people. So looking at what we genuinely have going on as humans, not just as moms. So that's been the same throughout. And then we've also just tried since day one to be as inclusive as possible and try to have diverse voices on the show because we know we we found each other, Biz and I, but we are both we are both white ladies. We are both in heterosexual relationships, married, you know, and uh, so we we don't want we we have other people on the show when we feel like we can bring other voices into the conversation. I was looking on your Instagram uh-huh. and I saw that you went on a trip with your husband recently uh-huh. for five days. Yes. You guys went to Mexico City yes. without the children. We've never done that before. Ever? For background. We had done, we had done like a one night a few times. And I think we did, before my third child was born, I think my parents took Gracie and my middle child for like three nights one time for us, like when I was really pregnant with my third. But this was the first time since having my third that we really, really were gone. And we were gone. Like we were always like the other ones were all like, oh, we're just in Pasadena or we're like, oh, we're just, you know what I mean? Like it didn't require a passport. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this was really huge. Okay. And do you guys still like each other? My husband and yeah, I? Yeah, after oh, the yeah. five days together. Oh, my God. We literally had no conflict the entire time. I mean, <laughs> we had no conflict. It was like we were both just so, like, naturally high from being like, we can do whatever we want right now. It was yeah. like, what do you want to do? Cool, let's do it. What do you want to do? Cool, let's do that. Like, we were just, it was the best. It was amazing. Yeah. I actually just texted my parents because that was a few weeks ago, and I just texted them to be like, just want to let you know, I still, like, feel it. Like, weeks later, I wow. still, like, totally like my kids more now. Like, just needed a break. Just needed, needed a, break. a break. That was one of your episodes I was listening to about how you like your children more when they're not around. Like, oh, that yeah. idea, that concept. Yeah. And it was so great because one, last, but, yeah. well, I'll own it. Because okay. I was listening yeah. to this while my husband had to do a work thing where we actually got to spend the night at a hotel in Santa Monica. Uh-huh. It was like a staycation for me and Great. work for him. Yeah. And it was, uh, I was listening to that and I was like, yeah, God, I miss them so much. And this is so good to miss them so much yeah. from just like a little bit afar. It is good. It's really good if you can get to that point. Like me of a few years ago, I my anxiety was too high. Yeah, this has been seven years in the making yeah, for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I needed to get I needed to get to the point where I felt like I like it I needed a break. So just like, hit breaking if, point. Yeah. I felt just like, like be this so this angry this that you are to, gonna explode. And then, yeah, not even and it was no no, but I mean that happens too. Like it's <laughs> you you might be joking, but like the rage can be real sometimes, and it I, wasn't— wait, whoa. Okay. Can you—wait, no, finish, and okay. I'm going to try to remember. People—I interrupt because I forget my thoughts, oh. but continue. Okay. Um, I wasn't even—like, I just knew. I looked at myself. I looked at my life. I looked at how relentless it was. I have three kids in three schools. 
I have a toddler. My other kids are like pretty high needs, like complicated. I mean, they're all kids are yeah. a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, family business, book. I mean, so just so appointment. I mean, just 300 episodes. I mean, literally, you guys, I was just I was and I was like it was I was doing it because we are amazing. We can do amazing things. But at a certain point, it's like, hmm, I I'm going to like take a step back and say, I'm going to find a way to do this. Take a break because I need to take a break. Good for you. Yeah. When you said, or I, I think I said rage, and then you said rage, mm-hmm. and then I had this emotional pop and wanted to share my thing because yeah, I was going to forget it. I actually remembered it. Good job. And it was that I was thinking yesterday, like, is my anxiety just rage turned inwards? It totally could be. That's like a really. I mean, I, I think that's pretty profound. I think it's profound, <laughs> but can I can I walk you through it for a yeah. second too? Because. When I feel rage, I also feel guilt. Mm-hmm. And then the guilt gives me anxiety because I feel like I need to be better and fix things and not be feeling my feelings. And that makes anxiety worse. Yeah. So what do you do to help your anxiety? Um, let's see, lots of therapy. <laughs> um, I'm actually not in therapy right now, but I did go to therapy mm-hmm. for a couple of years. Um for me, I think mindfulness has helped. Lowering the bar on what is expected of me has been huge. I try to lower huge. the bar every day. Huge. And I, I think I also, doing the podcast has helped. And then I think I'm starting to, like, believe myself when th- something is hard. Like, if something's hard, I used to feel like, oh, why is this so hard? Why? It's, see, this should be easier. Why can't I do this? Mm-hmm. What I'm realizing more and more is, well, when I feel like it's hard, it's probably because it's actually really hard. <laughs> and so I should be, instead of like fighting against yeah. myself or something's for wrong feeling that me. something's wrong or yeah, yeah I'm not because enough, I'm not enough. I should be yep. like giving myself gratitude and a pat on the back that I'm doing this really hard thing. How did you transition from law school and being yeah. a paralegal to the second act that on Atomic Moms I'm always talking about, like that once you have kids, the, the thing that you're really meant to do might find you. Yeah, for which sure. Which for you has been creating this podcast and this yeah. community. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is the biggest reason why I don't regret regret going to law school because I did not end up becoming a lawyer and law school was a very hard time in my life, but and I'm still paying off my law school debt. But I I know that I probably wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't have done that. Like I wouldn't and I wouldn't be the person that I am now if I hadn't have done that. So that's my best no regrets for law school. Like I'm really happy with my life now. Um, I think, you know, I was always, I just always as a kid really liked theater and acting and the arts. Um, so I was pursuing that. But then, of course, by the time I got to college, I felt like I should be doing something more practical where I could support myself. And I was always, I was never like a straight A student, but I was a very diligent and careful student. They don't even have grades at Sarah Lawrence, do they? No, they don't. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I, oh, as believe far as, me. Like, I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So. Oh, you, <laughs> I know. What you, I wasn't trying to like. 
I'm not really fact checking. I okay, promise. Okay, good. Okay, good. It's true. They don't have they don't have grades at Sarah Lawrence. Um, yeah. So I just I got more interested in social justice while I was there, but I also really felt like I needed a career where I could support my family. So and I knew I wanted a family. So that was what brought me to law school, and then that was a real that was my that was the time of my life where I like went and saw something through despite it feeling wrong at every moment, you know, like that it was not a fit for me. What were the signs that it felt wrong? I was miserable yeah, okay. the whole time. <laughs> like, I mean, like, really obvious. Yeah. No, I mean, sometimes I people end up like really sick all the time or there's yeah, some sort of physical manifestation that it's not right. I didn't have that at all. But what I think what made it take longer for me to come to terms with it was just that everybody talks about how awful law school is. Like yeah. that's a common thing. And so the approach of most people who are in law school is I just have to get through this and Muscle then through. and then it will get better. But what I realized when I got towards the end was I just have to get through this and then I get to do more of this type of work. <laughs> what what made me think that that made sense? Um, so that was a learning process for me. You and Jesse dated in high school. You broke up very sh- momentarily yes. in college yeah. because you were across the country from each other. Yeah. Then you reconnected mm-hmm. back in L.A. And he is like Mr. Creative as well. Yeah. Like he's an American public radio show host. Like was there a talk one night where you're like, F it. Like let's make this maximum fun podcast company and I'm going to do this instead? Like, what was that transition? Or was it, I have a baby now and I don't want to go back to what I was doing? So that's a good question. So Jesse doesn't, he just does stuff and then stuff happens. He's not like a person who sits down and says like, this is what I'm going to do. And then we will get to such and such end point. Um, So I think you know, his show, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, started out as his college radio show. He went to UC Santa Cruz and they have a community radio station there. And he made a show there called The Sound of Young America, which was a joke name. Um, And he continued to make it because community members make shows there, not just students. So he continued to make it after college. And then eventually it got picked up by Public Radio International. And later he joined NPR. Um, And So that just evolved. And then he was working other jobs. He was a receptionist. He was working for his dad. He was doing other stuff to make ends meet. And then had the idea of making his show a podcast, had the idea of making it listener supported, and then had the idea of kind of teaming up with some other like-minded shows and started producing some more shows. So that grew in and of itself, independent from me. I realized when I was out of law school and had passed the bar but did not want to practice law that I could probably bring more money into our household by working for him and like, you know, getting advertisers on the shows or, you know, whatever, like doing events, um, doing like donor outreach. I, I, I realized I could very quickly do a lot better doing that. And I could work from home and I could work with him and hang out with our dog. Oh my God, he's so lucky to have you. I mean, it was great. Like he was ready to have somebody else working for him. And then I was kind of like casting about for what I wanted to be doing. Well, and it's like your skill set lined up for what he needed as well. It was good. 
Like yeah. he sounds like someone who goes by his gut and just yes. like follows whatever his yes. inspiration is. And I is. was like the detail oriented person yeah. who like I helped us this. incorporate the business and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah, that was really good. <laughs> and then I was never in front of the microphone because that just wasn't my role. And I was like perfectly happy to be like this mysterious person behind mm-hmm. the scenes until Biz, who was a friend of ours, told Jesse that she wanted to make a podcast. And he was like, well, you need a co-host. And she asked me. And then I was like, uh, sounds pretty fun. <laughs> and it has been. Yeah, it has for been. 300 episodes. So let me just like go ahead and say like, your book is amazing. Oh, thanks. Everybody, it feels good to be yourself. And in the author notes, you write, I wanted to give my daughter a book in which she could see herself, a book that reflected her back without judgment. I wanted further to give that experience to all kids. I wanted a book that is less about accepting one child's difference and more about celebrating the amazing diversity of all children. So as a mother author, how did you go about making that happen? Because as a reader, you succeeded. Oh, thank you. My daughter, who's transgender and is almost eight years old now, she came out as trans when she was like had just turned five. Basically, it was around when everything was happening. And over the course of, you know, a year or so, my husband and I just really educated ourselves. We learned so much. And a lot of what we were doing was educating ourselves and then sort of educating our our kids and just talking about gender in a different way in our house than we had before and talking about it a lot more because my daughter wanted to talk about it a lot more. Um, And then I didn't have, I have three children, but at the time I had two. So my daughter is my oldest. And then she has a younger sibling, two years younger, who is a cisgender boy. He identifies as a cisgender boy. And so at the time that my daughter was coming out, my son was about three and he wanted to talk about gender a lot. And so the way that we talked about gender in our family was, it was new for me in a way, and it was helpful. It was helpful to, I think, all of us um, to be able to see my daughter and see her living as her authentic self and for my kids to understand what that meant for her. Um, And so I guess in writing the book, I was inspired by these conversations that we were having in our house which were inclusive, you know, because we weren't just talking about my daughter being trans. We were also talking about my son, who was very clearly identifying as a three and a half year old. He was like, I'm a boy. I like being a boy. And he has his own way of expressing that. And he loves sparkly things. And he tried out wearing a skirt to school one time and stuff. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean one thing, but we were we got a lot out of exploring gender with him the same way we got a lot of exploring gender with my daughter. And it's been yet another experience with our youngest child, who's a two-year-old. So I think when I set out to write the book, and or basically when the book just like came out of me, it was easy to write in the sense that I was just imagining how I spoke with my own kids. So 
you know, when you think about like when your kids ask you a question, you know, what, like no matter what it's about and you think about like, OK, the answer to this is something I know. It's something it's something I know. It's like a truth about life that I understand as, as an adult. How do I just say it in a way that makes sense without complicating it, you know? And I think as parents, we do that all the time. We get really, really good at that. We do it every day, a million times a day. And I think that's what I was doing with the book. It doesn't feel like a book that you put in one section uh-huh. of the school library when people are trying to figure out gender identity. Yeah. It feels like a book that should be on everybody's shelves at all times. Yeah. Thank you. I definitely think that a lot of the education that I was lucky enough to receive as a parent of a trans child felt like information that we should all have. And that I think as a culture, we're still evolving in how we think about gender. And we're lucky to be in a time right now where people are talking about gender in a different sort of way in a lot of places. But we are also, at the same time that many people are more open-minded, we're also still doing a lot of the same stuff from before. So we're still, for some reason, telling, thinking that we know what gender our child is based on their sex assigned at birth. We're just making that assumption. And of course, for a lot of people, that turns out to be true. Um, But we're just still making that assumption. And then, you know, as our kids get older and they go to school, you know, we're still we're still, you know, in some places lining kids up by boys and girls. And we have separate bathrooms, boys and girls. And, you know, in some places, there's more opportunities for kids not to be defined by their gender. You know, there are plenty of kids who don't identify as boy or girl. And we're still, I think, trying to figure out as a culture how to be inclusive of all kids. But it's just an interesting time right now where I think for me, I had this opportunity to learn more about gender identity and gender expression. For me, it's been so kind of great. Like I, I'm lucky because, you know, I live in Los Angeles and I have supportive family and friend group and a supportive community for the most part. And so for me, like learning about my daughter's gender was like amazing because I was like getting to know her in this new way, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then at the same time, like the way I, the way I've come to think about gender has been really rewarding for me just as a human out in the world. Like I've realized how everybody just defines their gender differently. Like everybody really has their own unique sense of their own gender and their own gender expression and how kind of awesome that is. Mm -hmm. And just, it's just like another way to be human, I think, and like to see each other as humans. Um, I feel like these kids are so go with the flow. I mean, not when it comes to crusts on their sandwich. Right. Yeah. Like with oh, for sure. Not with, for important things. Right. Like that. <laughs> but or like sharing their cheddar bunnies. Right. But they have a different silicone like zipper bag <laughs> yes. than the little sister. Like yeah. they will get stuck on some things. Yeah. But then when it comes to a lot of these big ideas that a lot of adults actually have a harder time grasping, yeah. they get it. Yeah. And they oh, go yeah. with the flow. Yes. Um, I'm curious if when Grace transitioned and changed her name at school, 
And I'm assuming there were some conversations that were had with the teachers and if there was any educating that happened with the students. Like, did did anyone, did any of the little boys feel like they lost their old buddy? I, that's a really interesting question. So I don't know how the little boys in her class felt. I mean, I can't like speak for them, but as far as, um, as far as how it seemed like it went from my perspective, for the most part, kids did what you say. They're very open-minded. And I think a lot of kids, even though, of course, we know they have their like particular things that they want a certain way, I think especially five-year-olds, they're really used to having adults give them new information about the way the world works. And so in a way, it's just like more new information. Like, oh, somebody might not feel like they're true self and then they might discover that they can be their more their true self and then they might change their name and they might choose different pronouns and they might and then it's like oh that can happen so i had one parent tell me like oh so and so came home and told me about this and and she said but one thing hasn't changed her backpack <laughs> because like gracie just didn't get a new backpack when she transitioned she just kept using the same one and it's just like such a perfect five-year-old so perfect. thing, it's you like, know. Because the backpack is they, honestly the most yeah, important. They thing. They know whose backpack is whose, and like <laughs> it's like it's like the most important form of self-expression. Totally, totally. <laughs> they all know whose backpack is yeah, whose. Yeah, and like it's Gracie so had a to them. Gracie had a backpack with dinosaurs on it, mm-hmm. and when she transitioned, she still loved dinosaurs. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think definitely there were some kids who were confused. And for the most part, that was, I think, just because, you know, we were in a school where the school felt they could only do so much educating. They could talk a lot about, you know, everybody's different and we're all, you know, we all love all our friends, but they weren't doing a lot of very specific education. So I could provide suggested like resources to parents and like Mm -hmm. to our class, you know, messaging app. I like provided like a couple websites people could check out or a couple books people people could check out if they wanted to talk about it with their kids at home. And some people did. And I think a lot of people didn't. Um, and I think there were some kids who were just confused. So like even going into the next year, there were some kids who would like still call Gracie by her birth name or they would say like, well, you're really a boy or whatever. Or they would just call her a boy like once in a while. And, you know, my mantra to her was basically just some people don't know, like some people just don't like this. They just don't understand yet. But, you know, many do. The illustrations are Mm -hmm. so perfect. Yes. I got so lucky. How did how did you meet Noah? No, I got so lucky. So when I wrote the book and my agent was trying to sell it. I hadn't said out loud to anyone yet, like, I'd really like to have the illustrations done by a gender nonconforming person or a trans person. Like, I, that is really important to me. Um, and I knew there would be a grand pool to choose mm-hmm. from, but I just hadn't gotten that far. We were just hoping to sell the book. And the book ended up getting sold to Henry Holt, which is part of Macmillan. And I have the most amazing editor there who was like, Basically, I've been waiting for this book. So thank you for writing it because I've been sitting here waiting for it. And she was like, and I know who should illustrate it. Is it okay if I send you some links 
And I was like, yes. And she sent the links. And I mean, you can tell what I thought of the links. (laughs) It's incredible. And then what's been amazing, too, is just having Noah, who identifies as both trans and non-binary, as part of this project has been so incredibly helpful. I mean, they just have a lot of they've had a lot of insights about even textual things that I was able to change and improve on. And just the inclusive the inclusivity of all of the illustrations, I think it took what I was going for and just made it more. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, I think, so beautiful the way they incorporated so many different kinds of people into one book. Absolutely. Teresa, where can our listeners find you? Oh, yeah, sure. So my website is TeresaThorne.com, and there's links to my podcast there as well. But you can also check out my podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's called One Bad Mother. And the book is sold everywhere. Everywhere. You can pre-order it. You can order it after June 4th. Yes. And for listeners who are looking for a podcast pairing, check out our episode with Dr. Joe, a.k.a. Dr. Johanna Olson Kennedy. She is the medical director of the Center for Trans Youth Health and Development at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles and associate professor of clinical pediatrics at the Keck School of Medicine of USC. I'll be sharing that episode again as well in our show notes. So good. Thank you so much for coming. Oh my gosh, this has been so fun and I'm so happy to have found you. So thank you for having me. (laughs) All right, everybody. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. (laughs) 